and welcome to What If, a new special podcast series that I'm running during the pre-season, looking at hypothetical questions that I've received over the course of the last number of years, uh, and that I was reminded of in the last couple of days over in the TRK Secret Club, on just how interesting it is for me, and hopefully you'll think so as well, um how interesting it is to think about the what-ifs, the hypothetical situations that might have occurred had things gone just a little bit different. And one of the questions that I've gotten uh, that has really intrigued me over the last number of years um, has been the, I suppose, the the turning point in Irish rugby. Uh, I suppose it's been a net positive overall for Irish rugby when you look at how things have gone in the, in the, in the, Time since, I suppose, uh, everything that came with it. Um, and I, I suppose, like, the, the knock-on effect really has been looking at Johnny Sexton this year and looking at his, uh, you know, his impending retirement at the end of the, the World Cup and how important he's been to Ireland over the last, Jesus, 13, 14 years, there or thereabouts, um, at, the, at the very highest level. I mean, he's probably been the best player you know, or the, the, certainly the number one fly half in Ireland for the last 10 years, I would say, maybe a little bit longer. But he's probably the best player that Leinster have, have ever produced, I think. Um, but you look at his arrival on the scene for Leinster and it wasn't necessarily a, a, the, the, the grand planned ascension that um, it might seem like now. Uh, Johnny Sexton is a great example of perseverance, I think. Because if you look at how he arrived on the scene at Leinster, that was not planned certainly not the way it turned out um and it is you know one of the most remarkable stories i think in how you can go from being an afterthought to a backup to being the guy to being the fucking alpha and omega of irish rugby um all in one go when you look at johnny sexton his his career and when he ascended to being the guy who came off the bench in that semi-final in 2009 uh to then driving leinster to uh, their first ever Heineken Cup win uh, later on that season um, well later on that summer I think he was 23-24 and not the most hyped prospect that you would see he had been in Leinster for three seasons up until that point and um, had played very little role in the, the tournament and in the season I think in general up until that point uh, for me the big I, I suppose uh, sliding doors moment uh, for Leinster isn't that Heineken Cup semi-final they they beat Munster Munster were looking I, I think they made Munster look like a tired outfit in, in, in that game they came in with a, a, a I, know I don't like to talk about like hunger and desire and all that other stuff but they came into that game with a massive point to prove and I think that Munster would literally have beaten any other team except Leinster in that game um, it was a a massive moment in Irish rugby and for Johnny Sexton and will go on to be but for me the big sliding doors moment actually happened in the in the quarterfinal of the European Cup that year when the final score in the stoop was Harlequins 5 Leinster 6 that's the full time score it was 6-0 uh, to Leinster at half time they didn't score in the second half and a missed conversion um, from who was it for Harlequins who missed that conversion? Um, it was uh, Chris Malone missed the uh, conversion. That's not the big talking point out of that game, though. It was the actions of um, the 
Harlequin's replacement, Tom Williams, who was involved in the Bloodgate incident that happened in this that played a large part in, in changing up uh, Harlequin's coaching. I think was it their 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 director of rugby was suspended for a long time after the back of it. Um basically, uh they snuck on a blood capsule to Tom Williams to get him off as a blood substitute to get um their number ten, Nick Evans, back onto the field after he had been replaced earlier in the game. It was a, a gimmick to get him back on because obviously he was their, their recognised goal kicker. They were done by a point. So that was their that was their aim to come in and, and to do that. And um it's it, it worked in the moment, even though Leinster's team doctor and it didn't didn't buy it. He came off and he actually winked at the bench, which was just ridiculously stupid. But Leinster saw out that win. There was massive defence in that game. They saw it out 6-5. And on the other side of the coin, you have Munster um, beating a very, very good Ospreys team. Not just beating them, blowing them out of it in Thoman Park. The entry to that semi-final could not have been any different. So I thought it might be fun to imagine what would have happened if Leinster had lost that game. Say, for example, Chris Malone had made that conversion. Leinster lose that semi-final 7-6. What would have happened? Um, I think if Harlequins end up travelling to Ireland, more or less, to, it would have been to Croke Park, to take on Munster, I think that Harlequins team gets destroyed by that Munster side. Um, Munster go to the final against Leicester. Everything there would have proceeded as normal. And I think Munster beat that Leicester team as well as they were far from the Leicester team had given us such trouble in the early and middle part of the 2000s. That would have put Munster on to a, a third Heineken Cup. Uh, that would have been our second in a row, our back-to-back. We were heavy favourites that year uh, to win the Heineken Cup. Leinster, when they beat us in that semi-final, it was seen as something of uh, of an upset. But if we look at that Leinster team from the uh, from the Heineken Cup semi-final against uh, Harlequins, their back three was Rob Carney, Eason Asewa and uh, Luke Fitzgerald. Obviously, I mean... Every name on that is is highly recognisable. At this stage, none of them were who they would go on to be. I mean, Rob Kearney this year would have gone on the Lions tour regardless. Um, But I think you look at, you know, Leinster, if they don't win that Heineken Cup, I think maybe that has an impact on one or or two of these guys' Lions careers as well. Uh, We're looking into the midfield, obviously, at this time, it's Gordon Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll. They were iconic for Ireland at this point. They were, you know, one of the most recognisable midfield duos in the game at this point. Um, and they were, uh, Brian O'Driscoll in particular, defensively was a huge part of, of that win over Harlequins. At halfback, they had Felipe Contepomi and Chris Whitaker. Now, you look at the bench, right? Uh, this was still in the era where it was uh, 22-man matchday squads. So uh, the configurations were different. Um, it was four forwards and three backs and you'll see now a lot of the time that's changed to five forwards and three backs or even at 6-2 split you see a lot now that was not the case um, back in 2009 it would change uh, the season after I think when you would have to have a specialist prop on the bench I think in part because you, you have to have specialist props on the bench so like at the, in, in this era you would have been expected like Ronan McCormack here would have been expected to cover both sides or to have somebody on the field who could switch over if needs be. I think for Leinster, that was Stan Wright uh, at this point. Um, but 
on the bench you'll notice in their in their outside back state Simon Kyo uh, he was a winger and a scrum half for Leinster Gervin Dempsey fullback um, you know he would have been capped a fair bit for Ireland and you had Shane Horgan on the bench as well um, who played a big part for Ireland under um, Eddie O'Sullivan uh, up, up, up to this point no Johnny Sexton on the bench right he was not considered somebody who they would put in for this game um, now maybe he was injured at that time but that, that would not have been a massive shock to not see Johnny Sexton involved in games of this scale because that's kind of how he was rated at the time where obviously I think they, they thought he was a good player he didn't just spring up out of nowhere but um, he, he was not considered in that in that company for I mean again when a guy is at, at, at Leinster for at that point three seasons he made his debut for Leinster in 2005-2006 I think he played one game the season afterwards he had a you know a small amount of minutes and whatever else and he built that up the next season again he was not considered to be like a, a, a massive talent where they were going geez we have to fucking get this guy up in fact there was a lot there was a conversations I think at the time that he might actually end up leaving that you know there, there was no real game time for him there uh, and that he might look to try and move on I mean that in, in itself is another another sliding door moment that I think might be opened if this result goes the other way say it finishes 7-6 as we were saying and like look, looking at this at this uh, pack for Leinster at the time Keane Healy Bernard Jackman Stan Wright Leo Cullen the captain Malcolm O'Kelly Rocky Elsom Shane Jennings and Jamie Heaslip Sean O'Brien there as well on the bench uh, who would go on to have a massive career for Ireland looking at this if Leinster lose that game I think outside of it being way easier for Munster to make a run to, to win those you know that like that third Heineken Cup the, the back-to-back Heineken Cup as well that would have a massive effect on on Munster I'll get to that in a minute but I think looking at the, the possible effects for Leinster that we you know like obviously we know what happened from here but if we change it to Leinster going out at the quarterfinal stage um, after what had happened in the semi-final in 2006 I'm not sure if they come back the next year and win I, I think that if they don't make it this year I think they part ways with Michael Checa uh, and I think that they do that a, a year earlier if they do that I'm not sure if they then get Joe Schmidt in I'm not sure if those contract terms would, would, would align um, and then I suppose you're looking at from a, a team construction perspective Leinster had already gone quite uh, young they'd brought in a couple of guys like Keane Healy was very young at this stage um, you're looking at making some radical changes I would say to the squad makeup of, of, of Leinster like it, it's it's unpredictable to note like Felipe Contepomi picked up a, I think it was an ACL injury in that um, Heineken Cup semi-final against Munster if he is never in that game now bear in mind at this point the negotiations were already there for him to move to Stade Francais um, if he never plays that game if Leinster never win that semi-final because they were never in it you might look at do they then automatically go to Johnny Sexton as their guy and if he doesn't come in in that moment in that semi-final where he doesn't have that moment standing over Ronan O'Gara and everything that kind of flowed from it afterwards does Johnny Sexton become Johnny Sexton in that same timeline? That's the question. I think that's one of the most interesting things for me in that we often look at players, their success is being inevitable. When I think you look at the the moments that build them up to being who they are, are without doubt far more important because every moment builds you up to the next moment. 
the way Johnny Sexton kind of burst onto the scene, and I know what I kind of think is, I know he wasn't the newbie at Leinster by any means, but for him to burst onto the scene in that way, that led to his Ireland call-up later that year. Um, that led to everything that came after. If that doesn't happen, do Leinster go another way? Like, Felipe Cantapomi was leaving. Do they, without the evidence of that semi-final win and that final win, do they then decide to go with Johnny Sexton? And what are the knock-on effects of that? I think, like, it, it, it's it's not out of the question to think that whoever came in after Michael Cheke in a situation where Leinster are out in the quarterfinals, you know, therefore, they're moving on. They're, they're going to look to try and get a different coach in. Does that coach come in and think, oh, well, Johnny Sexton is my guy? I'm not sure. And that's the, the, the really interesting thing for the knock-on effects of that Harlequins-Leinster uh, game in that for such a low-scoring game, it actually had a massive knock-on effect, not just for Harlequins, not just for Munster, not just for Leinster, but for Ireland as well, as in the guys who ended up making massive cases for themselves as being um, who would go on to be future Lions, future multi-cap internationals. A lot of it hinges on that game. I, I don't think that it's inevitable or, or I, I think that it is inevitable, rather, that Sean O'Brien gets capped. I think he was same with Keane Healy at this stage. I think they're all guys who were making waves, and for a forward, it's easier sometimes to make waves because the physical, you know, the physical aspect of it is is, is a massive part of your of your 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 persona. Your means of getting capped are often linked to that, and both those guys were were physical freaks. But I think that if that quarterfinal gets lost I think it becomes much harder for um, Johnny Sexton to become who he became and I think that especially given that he wasn't massively involved that season I think that without that moment in the semi-final I think that maybe Johnny Sexton ends up leaving the province later that year and I think that you know that's when things start to become a little bit unpredictable given the connection that would have been there between um, Johnny Sexton, his family in Kerry, is this out of the question that he might have then gone to Munster? Um, I certainly don't think so. You look at a couple of these guys, um, Luke Fitzgerald, for example, by all accounts, was so close to joining Munster a few years after this that he had heads of agreement signed and then changed his mind at the last minute. Um with Johnny Sexton given at that point he wasn't Mr. Leinster it again I think it wouldn't be out of the question to think that given his connection to Munster through his family side that might be something that could have happened as well um, I, I think that semi-final against the Harlequins I think we, we can't overlook how important that was you know looking again at the development of Irish, at Irish rugby since now I've spoken about Leinster what about Munster like we're looking at that 2009 inversion point as being what set Munster onto a kind of a fairly large slide that we've only just very recently started to pull ourselves out of. And I think that it's fair to say that if Munster would say were to take on that Harlequins team, who, I mean, just look at it. This, this is who we're talking about here. Um, at fullback for Harlequins in that semi-final, they may well have been looking at a back three of Mike Brown, David Strettle, obviously a very good player, Hugo Mania, very good player as well. 
in midfield uh, Gonzalo Tiesi and uh, Jordan Turner Hall a halfback Nick Evans and Danny Kerr with uh, Seri Jones Gary Botha and Mike Ross who would join Leinster the season after um, in the front row with James Percival and George Robson in the second row Chris Robshaw, Robshaw Will Skinner and Nick Easter in the back row I think the monster side that beat um, that beat the Ospreys in the quarterfinal I think that they beat that Harlequins team nine times out of ten in a packed out Croke Park which I think would have been packed out regardless for that semi-final against you know I think a big English team at that point I think Munster win that game 10 times out of 10. And just looking at that team, I, I think, I'm not sure if that's a, a massively arguable point. Now, again, I think the injuries that ended up hurting Munster in that semi-final against Leinster would have added a problem. Um, I think Tomas O'Leary would have been injured regardless um, in, in, into that semi-final. There would have still been those injury worries about Alan Quinlan uh, coming in. But I, I think that, you know, a back three of Paul Warwick, Doug Howlett uh, and Ian Dowling. I mean, that's, again, I, th- I think that, that, like, man for man, if we're, I know, I know it doesn't really work that way, but we're just talking about in theory here. That's a fantastically well-balanced back three. Midfield of Keith Earls and Lefemi Maffey. I think that season, Munster were really missing Rua Topoki, who'd had awful injury trouble after having a fantastic debut season. That halfback, Ronan O'Gara and Tomas O'Leary, even though that probably would have been um, Peter Stringer in that semi-final regardless. I still don't think that would have been a massive game-breaker for Munster one way or the other. Uh, the front row, Marcus Horan, Jerry Flannery and John Hayes. Dunico O'Callaghan, Paul O'Connell, Alan Quinlan, uh, David Wallace and Dennis Leamy in that back row the replacements um, that Munster used in that semi-final were uh, Mick O'Driscoll came on for Donico Callahan. you had Neil Ronan or Niall Ronan on for Dennis Leamy Peter Stringer came on for um, Tomas O'Leary uh, Tony Buckley came on for John Hayes uh, Barry Murphy was on for Maffey and uh, Dennis Fogarty and uh, Dennis Hurley came on later in the game as well um, I think that team more or less puts, you know, wins that semi-final by 10 or 15 points. And again, I think looking at the way Leicester were that season, I think Munster beat them as well. Um, and then afterwards, from, from a Munster perspective, I think lots of things change. I think one way or the other, Munster would have been on a downslope after that. But I think that the winning of a third Heineken Cup, I think certainly gives them a little bit more breathing room. Um, as it was that loss to Leinster in that semi-final it I think it put a lot of pressure on um, the the, like the coaches in the aftermath like Declan Kidney had already left this was Tony McGahan's first season I think that a lot of the I suppose the, the, the the reluctance to go in on younger players that came up in the aftermath of that I think it comes down to that loss in the semi-final as well where Munster were considered to be the favourites um, almost not to the point of it being a procession to the to the final and then ultimately winning but heavily favoured and I think with the way Munster were playing as well it was, it was sort of um, it was justified to a certain extent but losing that semi-final to Leinster put a lot of pressure on I think we, we ended up signing um, Jean de Villiers the season afterwards on a one year deal to tr- just try and get us over the line um, to try and make it work um, and I think that the focus that we had on Marcus Horan on Jerry Flannery 
on, on, on John Hayes, on, on all of these guys were kind of heading into their into their 30s, like well into their 30s at this stage. And again, I think I've spoken about it before that Munster were actively talking about the Maldini project at that time. Like, you know, we're talking about two years after this. Munster were talking about, well, we're going to try and keep these guys playing like Paolo Maldini at AC Milan. He played close up to it, you know, up to his late 30s and his 40s. I think if Munster win that third Heineken Cup, I think there's more scope to go, well, we'll rebuild the team now because a lot of these guys are older. But losing to Leinster in that fashion and to see them go on and win as well, we gave them so much oxygen off the back of that. And you might say that we gave them a bit of, like a little bit too much air the season before when we lost to them in that league. Um, we lost to them in the league, I think, and gave them the belief that they would then use a year later to, to take us down on, on, on the biggest day possible. Um, but I, I think that from a Munster perspective anyway, I think that it would give a little bit more space and a little bit more breathing room for Tony McGahan to start rebuilding options, to start letting some of those older fellas go or drop down the rotation and think instead we were still very, very reliant on um, a lot of those older guys heading into 2011, 2012. And then when they all retired, pretty much the, the bulk of that team ended up retiring in a bulk of, we'll say, two years the bulk of them were gone um that like eradicated a lot of the experience that was there and there was obviously a a bit of a a bridging point where a lot of the younger guys weren't ready to step up a lot of the older players who were still there were were reduced versions of themselves and like that i think all goes back to that semi-final and i think that um if leinster were never there in the first place who knows what could be happening is it possible that a Johnny Sexton with his extensive family ties down in Kerry decides maybe I'll move to Munster maybe Tony McGann comes in and goes yeah we'll get you in and what if Johnny Sexton is the backup to Ronan O'Gara in Munster what happens then I think that that's not out of the question for that to happen especially if we look at Leinster if they lose that quarter final of course they're going to have a big squad reset you know, I, I think that at that point it would have been, um, it would have been, you know, Michael Checker would have been gone, I would say, in the aftermath. They would have looked to try to reset. Who knows what could happen? And I think that's the, the interesting part about these questions is just how many things radiate from one result and from one big day. Um, but I hope this was interesting. I've got another little mini podcast coming uh, later in um, the month. Well, it'll be next week, actually, in the week after, looking at uh, some other possible what-if scenarios. Episode two is, what if Munster had lost to Biarritz in the 2006 Heineken Cup final? So if you have any questions for other potential what-if podcasts, send them in to me, info at 3 and I'll be dropping another short 20-25-minute what-if podcast um, next week. So thank you very much for joining me. I will talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you.